This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, and particularly here at the Kirk. I bring you greetings from the Presbytery of Detroit, where 75 amazing congregations serve this present community. Will you pray with me? Humbly, I ask you, teach me your will. While you are working, help me be still. Though Satan is busy, God is real. Order my steps, order our steps in your word. Let the word come forth so that people's hearts may hear. But thus says the Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, and thanks be to God. Today's sermon is entitled, Hit the Reset Button, a problem you can't solve. So today I want you to consider that this is the first day of the best days of your life. If I had a magical eraser, I would pull out that dry erase board of your life and get some of that good spray and wipe our slates clean. Even at only 16 days in the new year, we are beginning to feel the drag of our yesteryears more than the possibility of this beautiful moment in time. I heard a great quote the other day, and it said the, the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, is that we should have a new soul, a new nose, new feet, a new backbone, new ears, new eyes. Unless a man or woman starts afresh about things, he or she will certainly do nothing effective. G.K. Chesterton. I don't know about you, but one of my rituals as I prepare to enter into a new year, I say out loud to my spouse and anyone else who will listen, I am starting over. I'm starting fresh. I am moving some people who didn't need to be in my life in the first place out of the way. I'm starting to care for myself. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat more fruits and vegetables. I'm going to become a better me. Maybe you've said something similar. It's Monday. Tomorrow's Monday. And so I'm going to wake up early and I'm, I'm going to get my scriptures out and I'm going to pray to God and, and I'm going to meditate. And then I'm going to go and work out. I have plans for my life. I'm going to go ahead and get that diploma or that degree or I'm going to get that certification. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to find the love of my life. I'm going to lose 10, 15, 20. 30. Don't worry about the number. I'm going to play golf more. I'm going to fish. I'm going to read more. I'm going to hike more. I'm going to travel more. I'm going to spend more time with my grandbabies. And then you hit a glitch. Something happens and you miss the mark. You do not wake up at 5 a.m. like you said you would. You are actually working more and caring 
for others instead of caring for yourself. You find that you have reverted. You've gone back to the way it was in yesteryears, when you were in a rut, trying to, fi to find a, a new way of being, only to dig deeper into making desperate decisions, promoting poor practices, and manifesting mental messes. And now, you feel disqualified. Okay, this might be dating myself, but I'm gonna try. Does anyone remember the game Operation? Okay, good, all right. So, the, 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 the game Operation, the way to heal Cavity Sam is that you had to demonstrate flawless, fine motor skills. The players would take turns picking up the little doctor's cards and, and they would have little money on there and all that kind of good stuff. And you would have tweezers that in particular alignment, you were to take those tweezers and pull out that thing that was causing Cavity Sam to be ill. But the problem is, is that the board was wired. If you could successfully remove the ailment, you would be rewarded a dollar amount on the card. However, if your little tweezers touch the metal edge of that opening, you would hear this <clears throat> And Sam's nose would light up and, and the player loses their turn and they are instantly disqualified. The moment you touch the sides, you're done. You've lost the game. I didn't like that game. <laughs> because one mistake and you're done. You get one chance. And if you don't do it right, then for you, the game is done. And many of us, we live our lives the same way. We have one breakdown at 7.51 a.m. and then your whole day is wrecked. We make one mistake and suddenly we are a mistake. We live in the world of regret and remorse. Disappointment, discomfort, and dissatisfaction are our first cousins. It's a problem you can't solve. We don't know how to hit the reset button. We don't understand what a do-over is. We sink deeper and deeper. And all that happened is Cavity Sam's buzzer went bent because you touched the side. But listen, even with that, a brand new game starts in 10 minutes. You can start again. Maybe that's that's... That's why I like church golf tournaments. When I was pastoring, our church would have golf tournaments for, for fundraisers. And there's this thing in golf called a mulligan. Anybody? Yes, amen to the mulligan. You see, a mulligan is a stroke that is replayed from the spot of the previous stroke without penalty. Because my ball had a propensity to go into the woods a lot due to an inerrancy on my behalf. Anyway, I digress. The, the result is, though, is that the hole is played and scored. It is as if the error had not been made. They do this in casual play, mulligans. Fortunately, they don't do that in the PGA. But the thing about it is, is that with a mulligan, a player can shake off a bad shot more easily with their second chance. You know where this is going. 
Too many of us have postgraduate degrees in perfection. We have PhDs with a concentration in perfect. We want to live our lives perfectly, no errors, no mistakes, no misguided wrongs, no misinterpretations, no misunderstandings, no miscalculations, no faults, no inaccuracies, no omissions, no slips or blunders. We want our work to be foolproof, our word impeccable, our thoughts pure, and our relationships utopian. Pastor Angela, are the folks who are always trying to look at, at any expense, are, are there any of them in our congregation here? Therefore, there's no enjoyment of life because we're so busy trying to be perfect, trying to be right to the degree that it, it messes up our relationships with each other. Beloved, we need to hit the reset button. We need a do-over. We need a mulligan. But we can't do it by ourselves. In this passage in Romans, Paul reminds us that in the message version, it says, it's news I'm proud to proclaim. This extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith confirming what scripture has said all along. The person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. See, when you say to some people that Jesus is offering you a do-over, what, what Christ would call forgiveness, sometimes people will laugh. Because it seems too simple, too easy. Too many of us would rather live on regret road and disappointed drive than to consider that Jesus Christ really did die for our lives. Hashtag shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. You and I, we cannot fix our lives. We cannot live our lives in perfection. So Paul reminds us that we are made righteous. We do not earn righteousness, we do not merit righteousness, we do not purchase righteousness. We are made righteous through him who loves us. Can't meet God's standards. Sure, through Jesus Christ we are given the ability to hit the reset button, but righteousness from God is made available through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's powerful proclamation of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ became the source of spiritual awakening and the spark that ignited even the Protestant Reformation. The most basic question that a seeker has is, what must I do to be saved? Stated another way, how can I live my life on full rather than empty. And state it yet another way, what do I have to do to live for Jesus Christ? All the spiritual benefits follow the correct response to that question. When we start asking the right questions, 
God begins to pour out God's wellspring of grace and forgiveness to the point where we can't hold all of what God has in store for us. Paul once thought that salvation came through obedience to the laws and the pursuit of spiritual disciplines. And a lot of us are still living out that model to the exclusion of everything else, trying to be perfect on our own. If I can just do the right thing, if I, if I can just figure this out, God, yeah, I, I, I got this. Gospel talks about these historical truths that Jesus is the Christ and Savior who died on the cross for our sins and was raised to new life. And with him, all things are possible. But without him, nothing is possible. So we cannot overlook the courage of Paul's declaration, I for I am not ashamed. You see, all of our human-made accomplishments, the things that we boast and brag on and, 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 and we're proud of aren't enough. To, as we say in the South, to buy a net, a wrestling jacket, a really small jacket. That in comparison to the amazing and wonderful and generous gift in Jesus Christ. You see, Rome was this political, cultural center of the world. But Paul had some scars for preaching the gospel because when you preached the gospel then, there was a risk to your very life. Well, it's 2,022 years later since the birth of Jesus. The preaching and proclaiming of the gospel might not be life-threatening in the same way, but truth-telling takes courage. On this Sunday after Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, I am drawn closer to his letter from a Birmingham jail than his I Have a Dream speech. He says in this letter, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow provincial outside agitator idea. What this means is that we must stand together because what affects one affects all. You might not receive a, a physical threat for living out the gospel and telling the truth, but know this, the more secular and biblically intolerant our nation becomes, the more courage will be required by Christians to declare the truth and you can't do that by yourselves. Paul proclaimed the gospel of God's power for salvation. And so what that lets us know is that the, the source of the gospel, the good news, is God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, 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 the gospel is not just a, a thread of stories or, or intellectual facts. The gospel unleashes God's power. People 
do not need to turn over a new leaf. They require a new mind, heart, and will. That's what the prophet Ezekiel says. Ephesians tells us we receive a new nature that will respond obediently to God's will. Thanks be to God. So those aspects of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification, these are the primary focuses, focus of Romans. The gospel will only be effective to one who believes. So we can't put our faith on a shelf and pull it off when it's convenient to have. We can't hide it somewhere because the Bible says we are not ashamed. We must live it. And when we live it out, we begin to inherit present and future blessings, but we also inherit eternal life. Paul emphasized the gospel is for everyone, everyone. In fact, the gospel was equally for both Jews and Gentiles. So this calls us to unity, unity in the body of Christ. But some way we like separating ourselves. You got the conservatives and the liberals, the, the, the progressives, the evangelicals, the, the moderates, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians, the, the holiness, the church of God in Christ, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Southerners, Northeasterners, Midwesterners, the list goes on and on. We love dividing ourselves in such a way that makes my practice better than yours or stronger or bigger than yours. The fact is that the gospel, the good news, the truth of God is for everyone who believes. We have a huge dilemma. Our human oddities love to point out flaws in others while we walk past our own. We want a mulligan, but we don't want to extend others a mulligan. So you see, we will continue to be self-reliant and self-consumed unless we get this very truth. Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we have to see ourselves as the ones who are ill. If we ever hope to experience the amazing grace of the healing God, precious Lord, take our hands. Imagine that you are a child again playing with other kids and and you're competing we used to do this thing we would we, we played with dirt we didn't have games right we would take a line and put it in the dirt and we'd have long jump contests and maybe there was someone who was a natural leaper and maybe you didn't have those same abilities but replay this same scene and imagine the distance is much greater you're not jumping from one line to see how far you can go. You don't have any solid road beneath you. Instead, you are standing on a cliff and you're jumping over a chasm that's 50 feet from point A to B. And the drop below is 10,000 feet. You know that if you don't make it, eh, the buzzer goes off and you die. It doesn't matter how strong you are or how experienced you might be in jumping. 
There is no possible way for you to do this jump on your own. This is the way it looks when we think that we can meet God's standards on our own. When we are able to accept God's diagnosis on our human frailty, on our sin, that we have come short of the glory of God, that is when hope is extended to us and we are rescued. The undeniable dilemma is that people's hearts become hardened. But what happens is we also push down and push away anything that will make anyone think that we are less than perfect. In this pericope, Paul focuses on those who believe themselves exceptions for the need of salvation, the moral and the religious. Paul attributes that failure to a hardness and an unrepentant heart. They refused to acknowledge their sinfulness and they rejected their need for a savior. Sometimes that's us. I got this, I can handle this, I'm gonna take care of this. But I believe when we are able to say, I don't have this, I can't take care of this. Lord, in your mercy, hear my prayers. I think when we begin to clarify our need for God, our dependence on God, and, and God's spirit begins to shed some light on us, we begin to recognize that we now have to live from the inside out, that our lives are not our own, and that we belong to God, and I need God to survive. You see, the lost have no clue, but we are sinners saved by grace. Paul tells us that whether neither Jew nor Greek has any advantage, the judgment. So Paul states that no one will be justified in God's sight by works. We can't do enough. If the only reason that we're doing good is to try to stay in, in God's good graces, then we're missing Mark, I believe that this text gives us an understanding of God loving the world so much that God gives us opportunity after opportunity to become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more faithful. And so think, think about your relationship with Jesus Christ. When is it that you realize that you need him when is it that you realize that we can't fix sin? These verses demonstrate how unrighteousness reveals itself. But then that these verses also remind us that we don't have the capacity to seek God. God seeks us. That's the good news. Jesus teaches his disciples and us too that he is the vine and we are the branches and apart from him, they can do nothing. I think it's not until we are able to empty ourselves, empty ourselves of selfishness and self-serving ways. Until we can do that, we, we can't be 
filled with God's spirit. So what we get to do is hit the reset button. We get a do-over, but we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to be tethered to our past, tethered to, to sin. Paul reminds us that Jesus Christ can cancel our path, past. We get a mulligan over and over again. We get forgiveness. This third Sunday in 2022, how do we align ourselves with the walk of Christ? How do we align our words with the talk of Christ? How do we align our actions with the life of Christ in faith? There are things that only God can do for us. When we begin to recognize that, we will see the bountiful blessings unfold. And we will see that the things that have been weighing us down will be lifted. So number one, we have to quit rationalizing our behavior. I found out this week that there is a duck donut near me. Now, if you've never had a duck donut, I invite you to try it. But remember, I talked about that diet thing. For some reason, I was drawn to go to duck donuts and get the maple bacon donut. I only got two. But I was telling myself I was trying to lose weight. I, had, I have to stop rationalizing my behavior. It's just one donut. Said differently, we have to own our stuff. And we have to ask for help. And then we confess. I just confessed. I only ate one donut. The other one is in my refrigerator. But I'm not going to eat it. The second thing is we have to refuse to live by false standards. See, the standards of this world and the stuff that surrounds it creates confusion. It creates partiality. It creates bias. It, it creates separation. God's standards create unity and love and togetherness. The third thing is that you have to lead others to see their need for Christ. You and I have been given do-overs, but some people don't think that they have that at their disposal. We've hit the reset button, but so many people don't know that they can do the same thing. In our lives, we demonstrate forgiveness and help others to discover the same. Beloved, today is the first day of the best day of your life. Hit the reset button. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.